Welcome to episode 45 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 45 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Doing very, very well. It was an exciting morning because I looked outside and saw the first daffodils are of spring or up. I mean, I know it's not spring yet, <laughs> but my daffodils think it is. 
So that's exciting. Yeah. Daffodils. That reminds me of um, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, well, I just love daffodils. Just when they start popping up, I just know that the warmer weather is coming. Because <laughs> you're a warm, we- a warm weather girl. I am. I am. I painted my toenails in excitement. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. Flip flop season will be here before you know it. You know, here in Georgia, it's most of the year. But <laughs> is it um is it cold there? Well, it's not that cold today. Um, it's cloudy and overcast, and um, so it's not a pretty day. But it's not cold. You know, I think we have um a little bit more chilly weather. To come. It is February after all, but you know, once March rolls around, it's it's definitely spring here in Georgia. How's the weather where you are? The same every day? <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> it's perpetual warmness. It was cold for while I was here for like a week and then never came back. And I'm curious what would be defined as cold. California cold. Um I, it was in the 40s. Oh, that's cold. Yeah. At night. So, I mean, not during the day, but. Right. Right. Everybody had on their jackets, I bet, right? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bundle. Whereas up. here in Georgia, the kids all get off the bus. Well, not all of them, but we have kids getting off the bus. Even like one day it was, we had little snow flurries. They were getting off the bus in um, shorts, some of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> it made me think of the cold therapy episode. I'm like, you know. When we talked about <laughs> using cold therapy, I'm like, maybe these little children wearing shorts all winter are on to something. Maybe they're on to something. There you go. So I, I no longer judge them like I used to. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, for listeners, we have a very special episode today. It is our coffee episode. I mean, we had a coffee episode way back in the beginning, but this is really hardcore coffee episode yes this one is more advanced coffee yes (laughs) not coffee 101 this is coffee 202 exactly (laughs) or like master's degree level coffee i know (laughs) the first one was more like general overview of coffee and fasting and this is the real deal there you go so shall we just jump in there's so much <laughs> yes let's get started the first the first couple of questions are going to be the doozies so go ahead and get those get those going all right so to start things off we have two questions from listeners and they are about whether or not coffee breaks the fast and so the first question comes from red and the subject is coffee and red says i wanted to first say that i'm enjoying the podcast So much great information. I've just started my journey, but looking to have it stick with me for a very long time. My question is about coffee, black coffee. I was listening to Dr. Rhonda Patrick talking about fasting. She states that the moment you drink coffee, it gets metabolized by the liver, which effectively opens up your window. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks. And then similar question with a similar everything. The listener is Chris and the subject is Dr. Rhonda Patrick says black coffee breaks a fast. (laughs) And Chris says, Hello, Melanie and Jen. I love your podcast. Thank you for the time and effort you put into it. I find it's not only about fasting, but making your life better, stronger, and healthier as a whole. I look forward to many more episodes. I've been doing IF for about six months, 
started doing a false fast with Bulletproof Coffee, but now do a clean fast and notice a huge difference. Thank you for your info on this. I just saw this clip with Dr. Rhonda Patrick in which she says black coffee during a fast breaks the fast for reasons she explains in the clip. If you could watch this clip on her reasons and comment on this, or if you've seen any studies or evidence about this, I would love to hear what you both have to say. Thank you and best to both of you. You're both making a big difference in others' lives and making many people smile. And then he sent us a link to a YouTube clip. Both of these questions we have the YouTube clip from Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She, by the way, she hosts the Found My Fitness podcast, which is an awesome podcast. And then she's also discussed this on some of the podcast episodes as well. So what are your thoughts, Jen? I, I did a lot of research, but oh yeah. Me too. I did. And um, basically, this is something that started popping up as soon as her very first podcast about it came out. Um, you know, when you're in intermittent fasting groups and everyone is very educated and loves to listen to things and watch things, anything that's going to be like this, like, hey, maybe you should not be having even black coffee during the fast is going to make people perk up and um, take interest. And then they're going to start asking about it. So we have been having this pop up periodically from time to time ever since it first came out on one of her um one of her podcasts. So I went there. We have a couple. One is this YouTube link that I assume we'll have in the show notes. And another is a longer video where she um, is interviewing um, Dr. Sachin Panda from the Salk Institute. We'll actually put both of those in the show notes. The the second one with Dr. Panda is um, two hours long. So they talk about all sorts of things. And it's really complicated. And a lot of it's theoretical. And um, Dr. Panda's work, just a little background so you know where he's coming from with this, his work is based on circadian rhythms. So also in the intermittent fasting community, it's trickling down based on Dr. Panda's work that the early in the day eating window may be, you know, theoretically better. You know, I say better, but he talks about how um, circadian rhythms and food intake and they're all linked and that there may be enhanced insulin sensitivity if you have your eating window early in the day. This would be related to the circadian rhythm. So um, that's one piece of the puzzle right there. But in the actual YouTube link that Chris sent, she starts off talking about how drinking the coffee will start your metabolic enzymes that you know kind of let your body know, hey, um, time to get things going. But also... She goes on to say, light also starts these metabolic enzymes. And of course, related to circadian rhythm, we are awake during the day. Light signals our bodies to do all sorts of different things related to, you know, the processes going on in the body. So, you know, if light also gets these same metabolic enzymes up and running, then I'm certainly not that worried about coffee personally. That's just my little side note there. But... When you um, when you listen to both of them talk about it in the longer interview, the one that's that's two hours, I went in and I listened to the section where they talk about coffee, and he kept saying the word murky, <laughs> which I think says a lot. He kept saying, you know, this whole thing is murky. We're not really sure. Um, basically, they have found in different studies on caffeine that depending on the time of day. 
it can affect your body in a different way. And he's not really certain. Um, a direct quote from him in that section was, that's why we never know. You know, he said that specifically. So he um, errs on the side of being particularly cautious when it comes to coffee. Personally, he switched over from black coffee to hot water. So that is that is something to keep in mind. Based on his work with circadian rhythm, he felt like it was important enough to switch over. Now, as they're getting towards the end of their coffee discussion, they talk about a researcher named Guido Cromer, and he is an autophagy expert who has published papers. We'll also have this linked in the show notes. He's published a paper that shows that polyphenols in coffee increase the markers of autophagy, which is something we want. So they go on to talk about there's so many factors and how we just don't know everything. You know, he says we don't know. He says it's murky. Personally, he errs on the side of not having it. So my personal opinion is this. We can get into the, you know, the theoretical realm of perfection versus practicality. And if you're looking for timing your eating window and your coffee intake based on some theoretical concepts of, you know, what may be best for circadian rhythm, what may be best for your metabolic enzymes, then you may consider having an earlier window, having your coffee within it. Whereas if you are more interested in the practical things of what works for you and your lifestyle, you know, I always like to sift through what's out there and make my choices based on what feels like a lifestyle to me as well, and what's going to be easy to keep this going long-term. You know, with intermittent fasting, we're not just trying to make short-term changes to benefit ourselves in the short-term. We're trying to think about it as a long-term approach. So, you know, if you really want to go for, you know, the the perfection of it, 100% optimized based on the, the theoretical concepts that they discuss, you may want to consider that when you have your first sip of coffee to maximize your circadian rhythms or to, to do the very best. Um, what, how am I trying to say this to make the best of what they, they think they know or what Dr. Panda is saying from first sip of coffee to last bite of food. Think about a 12 hour window. He thinks 12 hours is a, is a good length of time for all intake such as that all metabolic type intake. Um, if you're not worried about perfection and, and you feel fine with the coffee and you like the research on polyphenols increasing markers of autophagy, then don't worry about, about your coffee timing. There's just so many, so many factors, and the research is ongoing. We just don't have um, – it, it's just not anything that's set in stone. So what do you think, Melanie? That was a lot. That was wonderful. It that was, was a, a lot. wonderful. It, there's a lot. It's it's a, there's a lot. <laughs> no, thank you. That was a great overview of that podcast. You consolidated that whole section into just about five minutes, which is amazing. Okay, so many thoughts here. So first of all, I guess to emphasize, all the studies that they have looked at have been. I think they're all in mice, which most of our studies are in rats and rodents. So. Well, they, they did have some studies they talked about, and I looked at them, that had to do with women and breast cancer. And they um, he talked about this in the, um, the two-hour video slash podcast, that um, they were seeing how 
fasting affected these women as they're going through, I think, treatment for breast cancer. And they actually considered coffee as being part of fasting. Like it was okay to have coffee in the fasting time and tea as well. And he discussed how it did not seem to make a difference in the um, the breast cancer results. The, the, the coffee did not. So it's really, I think, more of like a purist perspective. If you want to be 100% of a fasting purist, have just water. But if if you, um, you know, recognize that it can be linked to increased autophagy and even have beneficial effects in that breast cancer study, then um, the coffee is okay. Yeah. And they also discuss how supplements as well could potentially start that that cycle. So, and I know we take like seropeptase and people take other supplements as well during the fast. So that's something else to consider. Like Dr. Rhonda Patrick basically said, at one, I don't know which one, but at one point she basically said that anything that you ingest that's not water is starting something in your body metabolic-wise. Although I guess for most of our listeners who practice one meal a day at night, we're flying in the face of their research anyway because we're eating at night. Right. Yeah. We're not we're not following the recommendation of the, the theoretical um, benefits of a earlier window. That just, you know, in practice, I don't do well with that early window. So even though it might be theoretically advantageous based on, you know, the enhanced insulin sensitivity, for me, it doesn't feel like a lifestyle that I want to do. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about it has to be practical and it has to really work for you. So I don't, there's no reason to change what you're doing to match a study if it's not panning out in real life. You got to do what works for you in the end. It's great to research all of this and bring in all the information, but at the end of the day, it's really about what works. And and then I, I will say that I don't know, do you think there's a difference when Rhonda is talking between, or do you think it's the same thing between breaking the fast versus changing the metabolic clock. Like, for example, she's talking about with the metabolic – I don't – do you think those are the same thing? Well, she she kept saying starting the metabolic clock. And so that that's, that's the part that really stuck out to me, that it all was based on that circadian rhythm research. She primarily focuses on its relationship to autophagy – Whereas we're often talking about with the fast, the relationship to insulin. And I, I don't think she talks about that. I don't remember them talking about insulin really. Not a lot. They did say, um, you know, they talked about the in- enhanced insulin sensitivity earlier in the day, which is something that people do say. The reason I bring that up is that um, if you're having black coffee during your fast, whether or not it's affecting autophagy, if it's not affecting your insulin, that's something to consider as well. Yeah, and Dr. Cromer in the um, she had him on her podcast, the one that that did the research on autophagy and coffee and polyphenols. It's just funny because the the episode that she had with Dr. Panda that said you know not to not to have the coffee, and then like a couple of episodes later is when she had the one with Dr. Cromer, and they were talking about. And she asked him what he had during fasting, and he's talked about how he drinks black coffee <laughs> during his fast, and he's the autophagy researcher. So everybody slants it a little bit towards their own um, research interests, you know, because 
Dr. Panda is researching circadian rhythm. So he errs on the side of, of that. Whereas Dr. Cromer researches autophagy, so he errs on the side of that. So I think there's just going to be trade-offs. The part that really struck out to me the or stuck out to me the most that was interesting is how they said that the bright light and the caffeine both got these processes started. And so, I mean, you can't avoid the light, right? <laughs> We're going to have light. So, and that's a reason, one of the reasons that they advocate a daytime eating window because of the light. Right. Exactly. But they also talked about how the, um, the caffeine and bright light actually kind of reset that or, or start it back up or change it up. So you could mess it up by having it late in the afternoon too if you had like really bright light exposure. It's, it's so, so very interesting to, to think about. Yeah, it's fascinating. Sometimes I like not thinking about it and just living. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it overcomplicates it and makes you worry. You know, like, am I not doing this right? Is it, Should it be better? So personally... I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I feel great and that's it. Did you read the did you read the study that coffee induces autophagy in vivo? Did you read that study? Yes. Yeah, so it's like did. some takeaways from that. They found that 1 to 4 hours after coffee consumption there was increased autophagy first in the heart, then the liver, then the muscles. It seemed to affect mTOR. Yeah, that um Dr. Cromer um that she that she interviewed on that second one that I talked about that promoted the use of coffee during the fast. He's one of the authors of that study. Oh, okay. That you just talked about. He's, I mean, there's a bunch of authors on it, but he's one of them. And he drinks black coffee throughout the fast. <laughs> and he actually said in the interview, the reason I drink it is because it promotes autophagy. So I just thought that was interesting. It's just interesting to hear a lot of different ideas about it. I'll be honest, though. You know, I talked about my coffee experiment and how I wanted to see how I felt without it. And I went, what, like six days or something. And um, a lot of it was spurred by some of these questions. And I was like, well, maybe it is, quote, better, you know, quote, not to have it. So um, then I, I realized I didn't <laughs> didn't feel better. And then, then I, I was answering the question for someone else and got pulled back into that Dr. Cromer research about the, um, the autophagy. And I'm like, you know, the jury is just so out. Um, I'm going to stick with coffee because darn it, I enjoy it. <laughs> Basically, the takeaway from that study, they speculated that polyphenols in coffee are what stimulate autophagy. And then I, all, I did some research on caffeine as well. And um, I also, I found a study that said that it, caffeine can actually induce autophagy, which is interesting. I'll just read from here. It says... That treatment with caffeine protects human neuronal cells against neurotoxicity and that these effects are mediated by caffeine-induced autophagy signals. So for Very there's both sides for everything. Yep. Oh, and then I did find studies on coffee and blood glucose. There was a really interesting one, though. It was about the effects of coffee on glucose and insulin and they talked in the beginning about how, in general, people who drink co like coffee drinkers tend to have better fasting insulin levels. But when they did the study where they initially um, had the participants start drinking coffee, the initial response after four weeks was that it actually increased their fasting insulin in the short 
well, I don't know if it's in the short term because it was a short term study, but um, it wasn't, <laughs> it didn't support the idea that coffee was better for insulin. But then they did say that maybe it, in the end, it all evens out. Like if you keep being a coffee drinker, your insulin goes back to being better. Yeah, but that was surprising. But th they did find no substantial effects on fasting glucose. So like I was talking about with the blood sugar and such. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, I'm going to just, you know, pull back out that word from um, from Dr. Panda, murky. It's it is murky. very murky. <laughs> <laughs> murky waters. Uh, yeah. All right. So – now listeners have no idea what to do. But really, honestly, if you enjoy the black coffee and you're having great results and you feel good, then keep having it. And if you suspect it's causing you to have a problem or that you might feel better without it, see what happens with that too. We encourage experimenting. Exactly. All right. Yep. All right. Shall we Shall we move yes. on? Now, we've got a whole section coming up now with general coffee questions. And the first one is about coffee versus tea, and it comes to us from Laura. And Laura says, hello, Melanie and Jen. I'm relatively new to IF and have been reading and researching a ton. I'm confused about black coffee as a beverage option during a fast. I've read in Atkins' New Diet Revolution that coffee, because of the caffeine, tends to exacerbate hunger. But the IF world says it's a better option to suppress hunger or encourage fat burning. Also, I've been a tea drinker my whole life and wondered if tea has the same benefits as coffee if I drank it, black tea or green tea. Thanks for your responses. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for your question. So two things to tackle here, that the caffeine and then the coffee versus the tea. For the caffeine and the hunger, that's going to have to be a personal thing because I know, <laughs> I know we say that a lot, but... It, if it makes you hungry, it makes you hungry. And if it doesn't make you hungry, it doesn't make you hungry. And I think people change with that. So I know for me, it tends to dull my appetite. How about you, Jen? Oh, absolutely. I noticed that was such a striking thing that I noticed in my six days um, without coffee. And and I, I did some research on that and found, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the, on the podcast, that um, – the research shows that the coffee actually increases your satiety hormone. So I'm wondering if that was the, the result of, you know, or what was causing it for me. Oh, right. I was trying to remember what study it was you discussed. Yeah, it was about the satiety hormones. Right. So, I mean, they, they found that decaf actually um, increased satiety hormones the most, and then regular coffee was just below that. So I actually did find a difference in satiety for myself. Like I was – so ready to open my window every day. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that would have evened out over time, if I'd have gotten used to it. I don't know. But once I started back with the coffee, it was it became easier to wait for my window again. So I just I, that was just anecdotal and it was only six days. But it wasn't an it wasn't something I was expecting to have happen. I wasn't expecting to be hungrier without the coffee. Um, but I was. It was noticeable. So for me personally, I because I was trying a coffee alternative that we'll, we will discuss later. <laughs> and then I started drinking just kind of less coffee. 
and I found it was, it seemed to be good for my anxiety levels, especially at night, but I don't know. I'm so on the fence about whether what's best. I don't know. I just, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I like having my coffee. Yeah. I, 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 I do. I like it. And, um, I like coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But back to Laura's question, caffeine has been shown to encourage fat burning. It it can unlock the receptors in your body that block your fat stores. And so then you're you you grab you grab the fat. Also a reason for increased fat burning while fasting is because fasting increases epinephrine. And so that has a, a fat burning effect, a thermogenic effect, and coffee as well increases epinephrine. So there's a there's a overlap there, something to consider as far as fasting goes. And then that also lowers appetite. Do you have any anything to add about the caffeine and fat burning before we jump into the coffee and tea? No, we do have another question. The next question has a similar kind of a thing about um, coffee and well, it's about caffeine. The next okay. question, I was just looking ahead. Yeah, the next question um, is from James, and it's also about the same idea. He says, I'm going to my fourth day and want to know how much and how fast can I expect to lose? Currently, six foot, 300 pounds. Also, does caffeine speed up weight loss? So that's really, he's asking that same question. He wants to lose 80 pounds. And um, basically, I was going to share for that question a 2005 study, it's just what you said about caffeine being linked to increased weight loss. There was a 2005 study in the journal Obesity Research, and um, they found that people who had a lot of caffeine had more weight loss, they reduced their fat mass, and they had a smaller waist circumference, which actually I think is important because we know that a smaller waist circumference is linked to health, and um, you know having a bigger waist circumference is linked to insulin resistance. So that would indicate that it, it would have a favorable response. Was that the study where, now I'm remembering a study I was reading when I was researching for um, my book. It was looking at athletic performance. No, it wasn't that study. This was, um, yeah, this was not. Well, it, it found a similar thing. It found that caffeine substantially increased fat burning. It found that the effects didn't go away. Like you know, if you kept drinking caffeinated beverages that kept having the fat burning effect but then it also found that there was like a um you reached a certain point so like more wasn't necessarily better you didn't have to drink tons of caffeine it didn't make a difference after a certain point but on the flip side the benefits didn't go away so i thought that was really interesting even though our bodies can adapt to caffeine so we can have tolerance where we don't feel like as stimulated and we need more and more to get the same effect, the fat burning benefits continue. Continue, mm-hmm. Right. Now I, I will read this one little quote. This is from the, um, the coffee and hunger um, study that I talked about with the society hormones. This is actually how they start their abstract. The abstract says there is evidence from several empirical studies suggesting that coffee may help people control body weight. So, and they were trying to find the mechanism for that, which is why they, you know, went into the satiety hormones and that could be part of it. But I mean, it seems to be just like a given that coffee helps people control body weight. Or based caffeine. On, 
Well, yeah, caffeine. Well, he, and they, they said coffee. The, they they were actually you know linking it. They were trying to see if it was the caffeine or the coffee, which is why they they did it with the decaf, also with the um, the regular, and then found that actually the decaf is the one that had the the larger increase in satiety hormones, showing that it's probably the polyphenols not necessarily the caffeine. So, but you can't, I mean, most people are drinking caffeinated coffee, so you can't, you know, pull that out completely. It's, it's probably all of it working together to do a bunch of different things. And then when I read all this, I'm like, why did I ever consider giving up coffee? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I feel about wine. Sometimes right. I actually, I, I haven't been having that much wine as an experiment for the past month, really. I haven't really talked about that on the podcast. I haven't really actually told anybody about that. Um, but but then I do all the – I read everything and I'm like, why am I not drinking the wine? Especially since I know I got my genetic results back. And we talked about this before, but I am – because you're a fast coffee. You're a fast caffeine metabolizer, right? Yes. And I'm mm-hmm. slow. <laughs> okay. So that's why I do better. Yeah. It, sh- it said that I would be more likely to have a lot of caffeine based on my genetic results. Exactly. And then mine was – the opposite right um, but then i'm a very fast alcohol metabolizer and you you weren't i don't sure. know that i saw that i don't know that i looked at that one it didn't say it on 23 and me and i don't think i looked at that and there's so many things i was analyzing so many different things about it i don't think i looked at the alcohol i got a recommendation on my blog from a reader about a service that they have lots of different a la carte analysis options and I really recommend it. I did their nutrition one and it was like $20. I did this a few days ago. That website was Xcode. Have you done that one, Jen? I have not, but that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really good. They So I just did the nutrition one, but they have like a nutrition one. They have like a fitness one. They have a p- probability of allergy one. And like I said, they're like a la carte. And if you already have the, um, if you already have your debt, your debt, data from 23andMe or wherever you have it from, then you can purchase those. And that was, oh, that was something I wanted to talk about. Okay. This is a tangent and it's not about coffee. Can I still talk about it? Oh, please do. Please do. (laughs) So my diet plan, it was, it was not low carb. It was 40% protein, 45% carbohydrates, 15% fats. And then like my key, my key takeaways were that I'm have an increased risk of being gluten sensitive, not very likely to be lactose intolerant. It's, oh, this one said I was moderately likely to experience alcohol flush, but that was the opposite of what another report had said. Go figure. And then my, my main vitamins I needed to focus on were vitamin A, B6, K, iron, and phosphate. I guess those are the ones that my I'm genetically unlikely to process correctly. But this is what I found so interesting. This just goes to show, like, the bias in the world. So basically, it'll tell you your tendency, and then there's, like, a whole <laughs> a whole informational thing, and then there's the recommendations based on that. It says that I'm less likely to gain weight with high monounsaturated fats. So the recommendation is include monounsaturated fats in your diet. Okay. And then it has polyunsaturated fats. It says I'm very likely to gain weight. So then the recommendation is include them in moderation because I guess because I'm likely to gain weight. Protein, it says um, 
likely to lose weight with high protein. So then the recommendation is eat a diet rich in protein. I do know for me, I was the opposite for protein um, based on, yeah, based on a study that I found when I was um, writing Feast Without Fear. Um, I was one of the people that would do better on lower protein. I'll I'll come back to that. I have one little thing to say about the protein. The thing though that's crazy is then so there's saturated fats and it says that I'm less likely to gain weight with high saturated fats. So based on all the other ones, the recommendation should be have saturated fats. But then the recommendation is limit the consumption of saturated fats. <laughs> and like, it, it's just a little thing thrown in there, but it it doesn't match up, right. you know? So clearly they have a preconceived notion about saturated fats. And so while everything else matches up with the information, this one, not so much. I just found that it was one of those moments where I just I just kept right reading it and I was like like what? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the protein, that's a whole thing. And then Rhonda Patrick has bring it back to the coffee episode and Rhonda. She has so many podcasts and such and, and interviews and just in general in the health world, there's always the de- the debate about the protein content, like high versus low for longevity and health. And that is something I'm hugely on the fence about. We actually have a listener question about that. We should tackle that in the future. So I'll save that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Coffee versus tea. Should we address that yes. from Laura's question? So basically both coffee and tea have lots of benefits. And I talked about this before on a podcast, but the mind-blown moment when you realize that all the all tea comes from the same plant. Do you remember that, Jen? I do. Yeah. Who knew? Green tea, <laughs> black tea, white tea. They're all from – they're all the same. It just has to do with how they're processed. Although I do have to say this. This is really funny. Um, apparently in, I guess, Australia, when they say white tea – they are talking about tea with milk because one girl was asking about, could she have white tea? I'm like, yes, it's just like any other tea. And somebody else is like, no, no, that means milk. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> they call it white tea. But that's not the same as like white tea versus green tea versus black tea. So anyway, that was just funny. There's probably lots of other crazy facts about tea. We should have done like a, a tea fact and a coffee and a fun <laughs> coffee fact section oh well, whatever um <laughs> did you know that green tea it has the most antioxidants and that's because it is the least processed that makes sense it's closer to the, like coming off the the plant because it's gr- still green right mm-hmm. yeah and so i did this research and i actually went and i was like oh maybe i should switch to drinking tea historically actually i drank tea before i drank coffee and then it kind of stuck with coffee i might go back to tea but so tea in addition to the caffeine it has a compound called theanine and that actually helps mitigate the stimulating effects of the caffeine it does two things it, it makes it not like spike as much and but then it also extends the effects of the caffeine and this sounds this is very like casual terminology but it it basically makes the, the caffeine have more of a zen effect than a – Like a mellower kind of yes. effect on the body. That makes sense. It's particularly beneficial for the brain, for brain energy. So there's that. And they did a study and they found that drinking 
I'm just going to read it. <laughs> they said that day-long tea consumption produced similar alerting effects to coffee despite the lower caffeine, but it was less likely to disrupt sleep. So they found that participants who were tea drinkers fell asleep easier than coffee drinkers, and that was something that made me think that maybe I should try switching back to tea because I, I get insomnia often. Tea also has antioxidants like flavonoids and catagens that help protect our bodies from oxidative damage. And let's see, they've tea has also been proven to make the body more responsive to insulin and lower blood sugar levels. So there's that. Oh, also the catagens, particularly in green tea, can kill bacteria in your mouth. And then there are other benefits to tea. But then coffee, obviously, it typically has more caffeine. It also has nutrients like trace amounts of potassium, manganese, magnesium, and niacin. And they do a lot of studies on coffee and cancer, and they find that it's particularly protective against cancer. And I know it's um, been shown to be protective of the liver and lower risks of psoriasis. Oh, coffee and caffeine have also been shown to help with depression. Coffee does have the stigma of people debating it more as far as whether or not it's beneficial. <laughs> but um, in general, I think it is kind of like with the whole whole wine thing. So, But you really have to do it, make what works for you. So if you find coffee too stimulating, you might want to do tea. What are your thoughts on the coffee and the tea? Yeah, I think I think that um, you know, just in general, both coffee and tea have been linked to longevity and positive health outcomes in many different avenues. Like people you, you continually hear positive things being linked to both tea consumption and coffee consumption when you start digging into um you know, the journals. Just overall the link is there with the good health outcomes and the coffee and tea. So it's really a, a matter of, you know, if you don't like coffee or tea, I don't know that I'd start drinking them. <laughs> you know, as we talked about earlier, there may be theoretical benefits to not having them and having water only. But if you love tea or if you love coffee and you feel like it improves your quality of life and you feel good while you drink it, then you should just have the one that um you prefer. Uh, people will often ask in the Facebook groups, I don't drink coffee. Do I have to start? No. <laughs> the same with tea. You you just, if you like it, have it and and feel good that there are probably some benefits that go along with it. Um, fun fact about me, I don't like tea at all. Really? No kind of tea. Yeah. I don't, I'm like one of the few Southerners who did not grow up drinking sweet tea. <laughs> I just, I mean, it was always around. Everyone I know drinks it, but I don't like it. I just don't like tea. <laughs> I don't like it hot. I don't like it cold. Not advocating listeners try these, but did you ever try any of the flavored teas? Well, see, I drank flavored teas that aren't really tea. Like I would drink, I mean, they're not really tea. They're like herbal teas, but they don't have tea as an ingredient. Like I was drinking like a apple cinnamon kind of thing. It was basically just sweet, sweet flavored stuff. I liked that. Or like a raspberry tea. I liked that. But they don't actually have tea in, as ingredients, the ones that I would drink. Did you ever try like the Tazo teas at Starbucks? I tried all sorts of different flavored things, but I don't like any of them that had like tea. But now, of course, I don't drink any of those. 
Well, like I said, now that I've done, I've been doing the research on the tea and coffee, I'm wondering if I should jump back into the tea world. I did. I went and bought some tea bags, so I might try a tea experiment. Okay. Yeah, I just don't like the taste of it. Tea-wise, I used to be obsessed with Celestial Seasonings, the brand. They make like the holiday teas and they'd have the sugar cookie sleigh ride tea. And this was like years ago, but it tastes just like a sugar cookie. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But then the box said that it was not gluten-free because I think they <laughs> they used like barley or something. Yeah, but I would not recommend that during the fast, people. No. <laughs> you don't want something that tastes like a sugar cookie. <laughs> no. So that was actually something that made me sad when I learned about the insulin response to sweetness um, because I was getting through the afternoon. You know, I don't drink um, caffeine afternoon. So I was getting through the afternoon with all these apple raspberry type, you know, flavored hot drinks. They're the, they're the herbal teas. So I had to think, you know, especially in the wintertime when it's, when it's cold. So, um, I really felt sad giving all that up because it was just something that I, I relied on something to do. Now I'm drinking hot water. I think I mentioned that before and it is so soothing. Like I've got a mug of it right now. You know, my window could be open because of the time of day that it is, but I'm sitting here drinking hot water because it's soothing. <laughs> I drink room temperature water. I like it hot a lot. It's really and oh and Dr. Panda talked about how he likes to drink hot water. He talked about I remember that him his, saying that and I yeah. thought of you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, see <laughs> since we're talking about it, I will we had some questions for later, but we had a um a question from Shannon about herbal tea. I'll go ahead and read that one. Okay. One thing I did want to say, we never mm-hmm. did answer James's question about how oh. much and how, how quickly he could expect to lose. I circled that to remind me to come back to it. And he wants to lose 80 pounds. Um, basically, James, because you're um, right at 300 and you want to lose 80 pounds, and because you're a male, <laughs> you'll probably do pretty well pretty quickly. Um we were, were joking today in one of our Facebook groups. Somebody's husband started two weeks ago, and he's already at his goal weight. I know. And the women were like, what? That's not fair. <laughs> so, James, I mean, of course we can't say how quickly you're going to lose weight, but um, you'll probably exceed the average loss that, that women typically see of about a pound a week. So, um, you know, expect it to maybe not all be gone in two weeks, but... <laughs> Don't be surprised if it happens quickly. The odds are in your favor. Yes, the odds are in your favor. So (laughs) back to the other question. What were you going to say, Melanie? I'll go and read the question from Shannon. Her subject is, love your podcast and I'm a newbie. And she said, several weeks ago, I became interested in IF after hearing about its many merits. I decided to search IF podcasts so I could learn more. And as fortune would have it, I came upon yours and I love it. I've learned so much and appreciate the thoughtful, thorough way you explain things and discuss topics. For the past several weeks, I've been trying IF, and although I'm just getting started, I find myself sleeping better and thinking more clearly. I've been doing 19.5 and didn't think I'd ever be able to go that long without food, but I actually enjoy not being constantly full. Now, for several questions. I know black coffee is fine to drink during the fasting period. Well, well. <laughs> There's debate about that. That's me talking. (laughs) Um, She says, but since I'm not a coffee drinker, 
is either herbal tea or plain water fine as well. Um, so go ahead and we can address that really quickly. Herbal tea does not come from the tea plant. It um, it comes from various herbs and other things, typically. I mean, maybe there's some that are labeled as herbal tea in their tea, but typically they come from other compounds. What, what are your thoughts? I'll let you... I think it's it's one of those things that um, I actually have a whole blog post about this. Can I have blank while fasting? And tea is without a doubt the trickiest thing to answer, especially herbal teas, because it just depends. You know, they add so many things to these different products. And um, in that blog post, the advice that I give is before you try anything that we're not sure about, I, I encourage you to do what we call fasting clean for two to three weeks without it. Try fasting with just black coffee, just plain regular tea, just um, water, unflavored water, unflavored sparkling water. And then you'll know how your body feels when you're doing the clean fast. Then try the herbal tea you're not sure about. You will know if it's a problem or not right away because your body will respond differently. You'll be hungry. You'll get shaky. Um, it really becomes pretty obvious. Once you're used to the clean fast, your body is going to tell you when you're not um, fasting clean anymore. So that's my standard advice for for the herbal teas. Teas are just so tricky. Yeah, I think that's a great recommendation. And then like I said earlier, with like the celestial seasoning one, so that's an herbal tea. But then you look at it and it says it's not gluten-free. <laughs> it's like um, – I think we said earlier on one other protein, one other podcast, we said like – if you're having gluten in your fast, it's not a clean fast. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, so definitely look Keep at your fast gluten free. Yes. <laughs> definitely look at those ingredients. And then the rest of her question, she said, oh, she also wanted to know if plain water is fine. Yes, plain water, always fine. She said, also, I'm 56 years old, 5'9", and usually around 148 pounds. I consume about 1,200 calories a day. After my first week of IF, I weighed myself only to discover to my horror that my weight had actually gone up about five pounds. I'm eating two meals during that five hours and perhaps a light snack. Am I eating too much? Should I consider cutting back to one evening meal? I'm not sure that I'm quite ready for that. Thanks again for the great information and fantastic podcast. Best wishes. Yeah, I would say definitely, um, first of all, stop counting calories. She talked about that she was consuming about 1,200 calories a day. I mean, you should not be gaining five pounds of fat in a week on 1,200 calories a day, first of all. So it would be impossible. I mean, think about it. Even if we believed, which we don't, but if we believed that the body worked just like a calorie calculator and it's all just going to come down to the numbers of calories that you put into your body every day. Even if you believed that 100%, 1,200 calories a day, you know, would not lead to a five-pound weight gain of fat. It would not even be possible. So, you know, we do find that people often have an increase in weight early in the process through a multiple of factors. You know, water retention is one. People find they'll, they'll retain water early on in the process because our bodies do a lot with water as we're losing fat. And water weighs a lot. So um, I would encourage you not to count calories. You know, I'm pretty sure I eat 
a good number more than <laughs> 1,200 calories a day regularly. Um, and I, I don't even think about it. So no, you're not eating too much. If anything, you know, eat to satiety and don't worry about the number of calories that you're eating. Excellent. A few more questions that relate to tea, so I'll go ahead and read them. So okay. we have one from Stasia. The subject is coffee. She says, hi, I'm doing IF 16-8 and sometimes one meal a day. All seems doable. I love coffee, but recently had to give it up because it showed up it showed up as the number one inflammatory food in my diet, along with other foods that are my all-time favorites, like salmon, zucchini, wheat, and honey. Okay, I have to, I have to do a quick tangent because that reminded me of something that somebody on – what was it? Oh, it was the, the Keto Summit interview with JJ Virgin. She was saying that when you're doing like an elimination diet that – the one food that you feel like you can't give up for your elimination diet is probably the inflammatory food. And she said, and I don't know, I haven't like researched this, but she said the reason that you crave the food that's inflammatory for you is because when you're eating it, the body's creating an immune response and creating these, these, um, compounds that are basically on the hunt for that inflammatory food so that they can get rid of it. So then when you stop having it, they're still there. So they're looking for it. So that's why you crave it. I don't know if that's true. I haven't gone and researched that, but does that, does that make sense, Jen? Yeah, I've actually heard that before too. Um, Back when we were doing an elimination diet for my son when he was little to try to find out what were his triggers, I actually heard that. Yeah. The thing that you're craving the most is like the thing that you should not be having. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like they set up police to look for that one food. And so then when you stop having it, the police are still there and they're still looking for it. And so that's why you want it. I actually – I thought you were going to say something different. I actually read something um, – <sighs> maybe I'm making this up too, I can't remember where I read it or where I heard it, that the things that you eat a lot are more likely to show up. I said that. As, was that you as as something that's a problem, but not because they actually are a problem, just because they were what, you eating, what you're eating a lot. That's I what I know. said on last podcast. Okay. That's <laughs> like, I heard it somewhere. Where did I hear that? That It was Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. Yeah. I knew I heard that. The IgG response. Right, 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 right. Then there's also the thing that people say that your favorite foods from when you were little, like that if you go back on your instincts, the things that you liked are the things that are beneficial and the things that you never liked are the things that are probably a problem. So it's literally the exact opposite. Right. So basically, if you really like something, it's probably either really bad for you or really good for you. That's funny. <laughs> Which is maddeningly uh, helpful. Not at all. Okay. So the rest of her question though. So she said, I've switched to an herbal blend drink called Dandy Blend, which is a blend of, oh, here's an example of the gluten thing, roasted barley, chicory root, dandelion, and sugar beet. It shows zero protein, fat, sodium, but doesn't have the sugar listed on the pack. It is gluten and caffeine free. 
do you think this is okay during my fasting state? I've been drinking it every morning in place of coffee. So there's an example of, like we were talking about earlier, with the tea blends. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say absolutely no on this one, unfortunately. <laughs> because the sugar beet? Well, for, well, sugar beet, of course, you know, yes. <laughs> sugar beet doesn't sound like something you'd want to have during the fast. It seems all, you know, the whole, the ingredients of dandelion, chicory, beetroot, barley, and rye grains seem very food-like to me. But I did some digging on their website. And um, basically, according to their website, it's got um, 42 milligrams of sugar in every two gram serving and most of it is fructose derived from roasting the dandelion and chicory root i mean that is word for word i copied and pasted that from their website it's and got it doesn't sugar listed on their pack though well see you can round that down right they rounded it to zero but they actually claim that it has fructose derived from roasting the dandelion and chicory root which actually seems like something you don't want during the fast i'd try to would avoid that <laughs> that's just my thought you know Thinking that one's a no. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm sad to, to tell you that because it sounds like it's something you're enjoying, but um, I would not I would not have that one. You know, I was awfully sad to give up all those herbal teas that I was having, but try some good hot water. <laughs> one more listener question. This one comes from Stacy, And so she actually has two questions, but I'm just going to read her second part of her question. Uh, but for her introduction, she says that she's loving the podcast. It's a great way that makes my eight-hour commute to work fly by, and I'm almost to the end of them. And then she has one question that we'll talk about in a little bit, but then she says, you talked about flavored coffees and flavored club sodas and not using them. I switched to plain everything with just black coffee. I'm. A, <laughs> she says she's a, or maybe that's she a brand. She used to be a cre a creamer queen, yes. she said. Yeah, she used to use a lot of creamer. And matcha green tea. My question is with the tea. I use the brand Good Earth Green Matcha Maker and Citrus Kiss. Both are great but have a sweet taste. Should I worry about my insulin even though I don't use any additives with it? Thank you. So, goes back yeah, to Yeah, I would. I would <laughs> I would avoid anything that tastes sweet. Um unfortunately, we also discussed matcha tea on a previous episode a while back, but matcha actually has – it's different than – like it has the actual particulates of the tea. Yes. It's the powder. Yeah. So we'll put a link in the show notes to our discussion on that rather than rehash all of that, but it's more debatable because there's actual physical stuff in it, which gives it more health benefits, but it's not – It's not just brewed. Right. Yeah. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 45, we'll put links there. And then we'll come back to Stacy's other question. Although we are running out of time. We are. I think we're going to have to have, just like we had two weird problems episodes, we're going to have to have two coffee episodes. Yes, because there are quite a few more, quite a few more questions. All right, listeners, so a few things before we go. So if you go to ifpodcast.com, like I just said, slash episode 45, that's where we will put – we'll have a lot of links there. Um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick's stuff, uh, all the studies we mentioned. So that will all be there, that information. Also, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all of the stuff 
that we like. I don't know if we mentioned. I don't think we liked anything. Yeah, I don't think anything. we liked anything today. <laughs> yeah. We like coffee. That's it. <laughs> oh, well, there is the coffee that I that I like. Because I, I do like the Bulletproof coffee for the lack of mold. The brand. The brand. The brand, yeah. She's talking about the brand, yes. not the not the concoction. One other thing, if you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and then you will get the episodes downloaded automatically every week and you won't even have to do anything. And also while you're in iTunes, if you'd like to leave us a brief review, that would be super appreciated as well. So any final thoughts from you today, Jen? Nope, not any. And I think that we, we got some great questions and I can't wait to even address more next week. I guess the takeaway is... If you like your black coffee, drink your black coffee. Yep. And focus, yeah, focus on all the studies that show that it's beneficial. <laughs> you know, you don't need to clutter your mind up with worrying about it not being beneficial if you like it. It's the other, it's those flavored coffees right. and those teas that yep. are, yes. Yep. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. Okie doke. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.